Rip City, Blazers Nation. This is Jack Winter, the Portland Trailblazers beat writer with Clutch Points, and you are tuned in to the very first inaugural debut episode of Talking Trailblazers. It's a weekly podcast I'm hosting at Clutch Points and that we'll be doing throughout the rest of the regular season, the playoffs, and beyond. Well, let's be honest, at 11 and 16, hopefully the Blazers will be in the playoffs playing late April and May, and who knows? Who knows? June, um, for thinking very optimistically but regardless we will be recording from now um from now until beyond whatever that whatever that may mean to you um and what we're going to get into in our first episode today is damian lillard's return against the minnesota timberwolves how he looked how he shot the ball just what his presence really means for portland's offense specifically but also what he said after the game and what that could potentially mean for the Blazers going forward uh he had some encouraging thoughts about his health then in our second segment we're going to get into the Blazers' long-awaited starting lineup change. It wasn't necessarily the one that I saw coming, um, but it definitely seemed like one Chauncey Billups has wanted to make for weeks. We'll get into that and what that means for the Blazers. Um, and then we'll construct our personal, my personal, um, ideal lineup for Portland and kind of ideal rotation behind those five starters. And then in our third and final segment today for our first episode, we will cover some trade rumors involving the Blazers. Sham Sarania from The Athletic, uh, he reported some stuff about the Blazers that fans will certainly, certainly want to know. So we appreciate you uh, listening along with us, and let's get right into it. So the biggest story stemming from the Blazers' fifth consecutive loss, a 116-111 defeat to the Minnesota Timberwolves at Moda Center on Sunday night, is obviously the fact that Dame returned. It was his first game since since excuse me November 29th. It was a loss to the Utah Jazz at Salt Lake City, and then he also sat out the second half of the Blazers' back-to-back the following night against the Detroit Pistons, which was actually their last victory. It was the next day on December 1st, that Portland announced that Dame would be reevaluated after 10 days due to MRI confirming abdominal tendinopathy. He actually received a cortisone shot last Wednesday, I believe it was, and then it was reported on Friday that the team that he'd be reevaluated uh, in anticipation of Sunday's game. He was actually questionable just up until a f- just up until a few hours before tip off but ended up playing really his his full diet of minutes he played 37 minutes against the Timberwolves finished with 24 points 11 rebounds and six assists those are all ob- obviously Excellent top-line numbers, but just like it hasn't been all season, it wasn't an efficient night for Dame on Sunday. Uh, he went 5 of 17 from the field, 3 of 14 from three-point range. He had five turnovers, including four terrible ones in the first quarter that kind of spoke to spoke to some rust. He needed. He admitted after the game that he needed to shake off, but he just lost the ball out of bounds randomly while curling around a dribble handoff. Uh, he threw the ball away when trying to make a simple ball reversal, and it was picked off by Jared, by Jared Vanderbilt for a pick six. Uh, he was trying to pitch the ball ahead in transition and had a bounce pass picked off by Anthony Edwards. And then another time, he just simply lost his dribble while trying to snake a side pick and roll. So Dane clearly was a little rusty, and again, he admitted he admitted as much after the game. Um, but there were, there were some silver linings from his performance on Sunday. He was 11 to 15 at the line. Uh, he had four or five offensive rebounds and wasn't afraid to wasn't afraid to tangle with bigs at all. And then really just his overall aggressiveness and burst off the dribble. Uh, despite Dame's awful shooting, 19 turnovers team wide, uh, nine missed free throws. Dame missed four himself. Uh, the Blazers still put up a solid 113.3 offensive rating against the Timberwolves, and these. <laughs> these aren't your uh, these aren't your brother's Timberwolves, let's say, or 
perhaps fathers. It's now realizing it's been about 15 years since Kevin Garnett uh, last played in Minnesota, but Minnesota actually has an above average defense this season. I believe they're 11th in defensive rating per cleaning glass. So 113.3 offensive rating is a totally acceptable number uh, against the Timberwolves and really one that should make Chauncey Billups somewhat happy. Um, and it's, and it's also not very surprising because we know the Blazers bellwether was back, you know, Damian Lillard, it's, he makes by far the biggest positive impact of, um, of anyone on his team offensively. And it's really not even close. Um, no, as, as we've been saying for years and as, as basketball aficionados, true basketball aficionados have known for years, nobody in basketball warps the floor or draws as much defensive attention, um, as Lillard other than Steph Curry. He, if, if there's a reasonable facsimile to Steph Curry in the NBA, even if, even if Dame is, isn't, isn't shooting very well, it's still Damian Lillard just because of what of what he does to the defense, and there are so many stats reflecting that reality, um, all from cleaning the glass this season. Uh, the Blazers' offensive rating jumps six and a half points with Dame on the floor. That leads the team is in the 82nd percentile league wide. Their effective field goal percentage jumps 2.8 points with him on the floor. And then I really think this is the most indicative of just the, the, the additional pressure that Damian Lillard, just his presence, puts on the defense. The Blazers take a whopping 9.1% more of their shots from the restricted area with him on the floor. That's in the 98th percentile of all players league-wide. And it really is the best evidence of him bringing multiple defenders to the ball, getting defense and rotations, but then also being able to turn the corner with his burst. Really, Norman Powell is the only other Blazer who does that consistently, and then his ability to find the role man. Um, now, the Blazers obviously are in a state of flux here. Billups made his first lineup change on Sunday night. Joe Cronin promised changes last week in his introductory press conference, and we'll cover we'll cover those areas in the next segment. But it's Lillard's health that will be Portland's biggest swing factor this season in terms of playoff hopes, almost regardless of what happens from here on out with regard to any lineup changes or or personnel moves. And it was, it was his post-game remarks on his health that sparked some much-needed optimism for Portland. And instead of me just reading a, trans- a transcript of his thoughts, why don't we go to Dame himself, hear someone else's voice for a bit. Um, I felt good. You know, I felt better than I felt just moving around in a long time. Um, Time was off a little bit. I lost the ball a few times in the first quarter. Um, touch was off a little bit, just passing the ball um, off the dribble and things like that. But I, I felt pretty good, you know, better than I felt in a long time. Dame was then asked uh, how much better he feels compared to before he went before he went down with injury, before he was sidelined for the last almost two weeks here, and this was his, this was his response. And it's probably most telling. No, I felt significantly better. Um, just. I mean, honestly, the, the entire time I was like working out, I practiced and all those things, and I was just waiting. Like, man, it, it just seemed too good to be true, you know, to be feeling that well, moving around that well. But I felt good, you know. I did. I felt like as the game went on, I did, you know, kind of wear down and get a little tired. Um, so my shots was coming up short, you know, and they those are the shots that you know when they feel like that they go in. A lot of them felt like they were going in, and it was like short. Um, I, th- I missed four free throws short, you know what I'm saying? Then I'm trying to adjust, shoot a little bit harder, and then I'm hitting back rim, rattling in and out. So um, physically, I felt really good, man. I was 
and it stayed that way. You know, usually to start the third, I'll start tightening up and getting uncomfortable. I felt good all the way through. I just, I felt like the main thing was just kind of fatiguing a little bit just because I haven't played in a live game um, in, you know, a few weeks, but I felt really good. You heard it from Dave himself. He feels really good and significantly better than he has in a long time. Uh, the changes we'll discuss here in the next couple segments are obviously huge for the long-term direction of the Blazers, but nothing matters to winning more this season than Dame's health. And finally, despite a loss on Sunday night and despite some continued shooting struggles that I think we definitely need to worry about, um, you know, even even if he says his abs were feeling fine, the fact that he still hasn't been able to find his jumper to the extent he has in previous years, um, really these last three or four years, is cause is cause for concern. However, just his presence matters so much to the Blazers, even if he even if he isn't able to hit shots like he like we've like we've grown to like like we've become accustomed to, just his presence will could be enough for the Blazers to make the playoffs this season. And if he's if if he misses extended time, if he is not himself, if he if the extent of his struggles reach kind of the depths they did towards the beginning of the season, the the Trailblazers playoff streak, which is now the longest in the NBA, eight straight seasons is bound to end. So some much needed optimism for the Blazers regarding Dame's health. And here's hoping he's as close to 100% as he can get um, over the season's remainder. And we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back for the second segment of the show. We are back to talk more Trailblazers. I'm Jack Winter. And in our second segment, we're going to discuss a long-awaited lineup change made by Chauncey Billups. But that lineup change certainly wasn't the one I uh, I anticipated. Chauncey has threatened lineup changes on multiple occasions this season, started doing it a few weeks ago. And in post-game, in his post-game remarks, he saved his most ire for the starters. There was that now infamous comment he made about how in his – in his, I believe, 15-year playing career and um, in, in ensuing six or seven years around the league, he's never seen a team whose starters needed to be inspired by the bench. Um, so that obviously pretended some changes to the starting lineup, and he finally pulled that trigger against Minnesota, slotting Larry Nance in at power forward for Robert Covington, and then the Seared Little started at the three with C.J. McCollum out with that pneumothorax. Um, Covington's demotion has obviously been a long time coming. He's struggled to grasp health concepts in a scheme that calls for longer, more frequent rotations and doesn't rely so much on instincts. And then this season, he's just been a complete negative on offense uh, when not making shots. He's down to 34.2% on catch-and-shoot threes. And considering the volume and the quality of his attempts, that is just not not good enough accuracy um, for a shooter of his caliber, given his given his lack of really any other dynamism offensively. He has been driving closeouts a little more frequently with two to three dribbles um, and then make, and then making a pass. Um, mostly it's been to, mostly it's been to a big man at the rim, little dump offs or, uh, or, little, or nice little floaters, but that's just not going to be a big part of his game. And you can only glean so much usage, usage from that anyway. Uh, but my previous assumption was that it would be little taking Covington spot at power forward, but that obviously doesn't address the size issue in the starting lineup. Um, and it really seems that's what's nagged at Chauncey most. Putting Nancy power forward just gives more size and length than 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 slotting li- than slotting little little there would. And again, McCollum missed this game, so you gotta you gotta keep that in mind when you're just considering the context of this new starting lineup for Portland. But 
last night against Minnesota, which really presents some challenges to to teams who play uh, traditional centers, more plodding centers like Yusuf Nurkic, just due to the all-around versatility of Carl Anthony Towns. How Portland addressed it is they stashed Yusuf Nurkic on Jared Vanderbilt and Jaden McDaniels, and for the most part, uh, wary of Cat beating Nurkic off the dribble or popping to the arc for three in pick-and-roll situations. The problem is... Nance might as well be a non-shooter offensively, and you just can't put two non-stretch bigs on the floor in today's NBA, I suppose, unless you're the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry. They've certainly made it work with uh, Kevon Looney, with Kevon Looney and Draymond Green. But And the other issue for Portland is that Nance actually didn't do a very good job when matched up with Cat. Uh, he had two two quick fouls in the first quarter that, that caused him to get yanked, and then two more quick fouls in the third quarter. Um, and Really, I would say Yusuf Nurkic did did just as good a job on uh, on Cat when he was switched on to Cat kind of late in the first quarter, and then at times in the fourth quarter, um, even even Robert Covington I think actually did a better job on on Cat than Nance did. But again, the bigger issue with regard to Nance and Nurkic playing together um, is just their their complete lack of stretch. Uh, Nance went 0 of 2 from 3 against Minnesota, and both of those attempts came from the left corner over a span of 40 seconds early in the third quarter. It was clear he didn't want to take the second one. And on one of those possessions, Nance actually missed a corner 3. The Blazers grabbed the offensive rebound. Nance caught on the wing and then reversed the ball to Lillard and immediately cut to the left block as Damian Lillard and Yusuf Nurkic got into a pick and roll and Nurk short rolled to the free throw line. And he normally would have gone all the way to the basket, but Nance was in his way on the left block. So he had to settle for an awkward floater from about 15 feet. And that's obviously not Nurk's game. And it really speaks to the lack of spacing uh, for Portland um, when Nance and Nurkic are on the floor together. Yes, they're plus passers. They're really intuitive playmakers, but they're just not good enough in that regard to account for their complete lack of stretch and off-dribble dynamism. Uh, the new starting lineup of Damian Lillard, Norman Powell, Nasir Little, Larry Nance, and Yusuf Nurkic was minus 13 against Minnesota in just over seven minutes. They went 4 of 14 from the floor and 0 of 6 from 3. Some ugly numbers there. And frankly, they weren't all that surprising given, given the season-long data on the Nansen Nurkic pairing, uh, that tandem up front has a minus 8.8 net rating. And that's a, and that's accomplished by a 96.5 offensive rating. That's in the second percentile of all lineups league wide and 105.3 defensive rating, which is solid 79th percentile, um, per cleaning the glass among all lineups that have played at least hundred possessions league wide. Now sample size obviously factors into those numbers, Lineups with Nurk and Nance have played just 171 possessions, and shooting luck from three factors in on both ends. However, there is one extra telling statistic, I would say. It's Portland's dreadful 44.2% accuracy at the rim um, with Nance and Nurkic on the floor. Nurkic isn't isn't an especially good finisher, obviously, and Nance doesn't quite have the vertical pop he once had. Um, but what that what that really speaks to that forty four point two percent shooting isn't just their inability to finish in a crowd, um, you know, in a crowd that the two of them create due to their lack of spacing, but really the driving lanes and and, and finishing opportunities it prevents Damian Lillard and Norman Powell and Anthony Simons and, and perhaps Nasir Little from getting. Um, now odds are that Billups sticks sticks with this new starting lineup at least until CJ returns, despite the fact that it didn't look good. Um, whether or not that's the right call um, is tough to say, but 
and certainly not a good look for a coach to, especially a, especially a rookie coach like Chauncey, to change the lineup on a game-to-game basis. Um, he's made a decision here. He's made a change he wanted to make for a while, and it would probably be best for the team if he sticks with it at least for a few games, unless or until it that lineup, this new starting lineup, uh, proves untenable just in terms of, of being able to to string together uh, to string together efficient offense um, when they're on the floor. All right, now in our third segment, we will take a look at some potential trades for the Blazers and specifically one rumored trade target that was announced today by the Athletics' Sham Sarania. But first, we're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. Thanks for listening. Rip City, we are back to talk more Trailblazers. And instead of focusing on the Trailblazers' fifth consecutive loss or lineup changes that won't make a difference to Portland's bottom line here in our third segment, uh, let's actually get into something that could spark some optimism, just like Dame's Health. And it's Monday morning's report from the Athletics' Sham Sarania that Portland is one of two teams interested in Detroit Pistons forward Jeremy Grant. I'm just going to read from Sarania's column directly, and this is, uh, this is his weekly from his weekly inside pass column at The Athletic. Jeremy Grant is one of the most sought-after players in a potential trade, with the Lakers and Trailblazers among the teams pursuing the Pistons' versatile forward, sources said. Dozens of teams call the Detroit front office about Grant each week, and sources said the team is open to a possible deal. Shams goes on to mention that Grant is expecting a four-year, $112 million contract extension this summer, uh, much like the dynamic that Aaron Gordon and the Denver Denver Nuggets experienced after Gordon was uh, traded to Denver at last year's trade deadline. He then signed an an extension just below $100 million with the Nuggets over the summer. And remember, it was reported last week that Lillard wants to play with a long, rangy wing who can defend multiple positions and has some versatility to his game offensively. Let's not act like that's a surprise. As much as I love, uh, as much as I love on source reporting and, and rumors about uh, about this type of stuff, it's naive to think that Dame wouldn't want to play with a guy like that, uh, especially after he really hasn't had that luxury um, during his near decade tenure and tenure in Rip City. I, I suppose the the player who'd come closest is Nicholas Batum, um, and he's been gone for five or six years now. So. Jeremy Grant actually does fit that bill. On the 27, he's in a timeline fit for Detroit's rebuild around Cade, Cunning- around Cade Cunningham, which is one of the reasons why we named him as one of Portland's three top trade targets a few days ago. In an article at Clutch Points, the other two were Indiana Pacers center Miles Turner and Atlanta Hawks wing Cam Reddish. Now, it's crucial to remember about Grant that last that last season's start has proven an anomaly, and that shouldn't be surprising. At this point, it's just clear to say he's not a number one offensive option or even a number two and likely best suited as a star role player occupying occupying a tertiary role offensively. So Grant's at 41.4% from the field and 33.1% from three this season with a below league average true shooting percentage of 54.0. He's at 33.33% on catch and shoot threes, uh, which is obviously a pretty ugly number. Though the silver lining is that he's been a high 30s catch and shoot three-point shooter in previous seasons on similar volume. There was some there were some encouraging signs early last season in the first couple months of the year that Grant could actually be a kind of 1B or 2A offensive option um, and really kind of live up to his uh, – to really a contract that took the league by surprise four years, $80 million in Detroit in the summer of 2020. Um, but that he'd live up to that contract by – 
by being an efficient self-creator of offense, but that just hasn't materialized this season. He's at 0.81 points per 100 possessions in isolation, shooting under 30% from the field in that capacity. Um, he's not a natural passer. He doesn't make plays for others, and he's and he's not the type of guy that's going to draw defensive attention um, isoing at the top of the floor. Um unless he's really unless he's on the drive unless he unless he gets his shoulder past uh, past his first defender and then draws defensive attention that way um offensively at this point he's a shot maker in a pinch an individual shot maker in a pinch um but he's a he's a fairly good cutter as we as we saw with Denver in the in the 2020 playoffs um he's an he's an adequate spot up shooter at this point i would say but what really makes grant enticing for for the Blazers and really Lillard, it's it's his positional versatility and defensive ability. He played a lot of five in the past with the Oklahoma City with the Oklahoma City Thunder and could clearly be part of a downsized front court. He has the traits to guard superstar wings and forwards, six eight seven three wingspan, which is actually just a bit longer than Robert Covington. He's a little stouter than Rocco as well. And remember, in the twenty twenty playoffs in the bubble. He did fairly well against LeBron James in the Western Conference Finals and even switched on to Anthony Davis at times to uh, more than holding his own. The Blazers don't really have a guy right now who can even make life hard or make guys like LeBron James, Kawhi Leonard, Luka Doncic work. Um, Jeremy Grant is that guy. Nasir Little just doesn't have the size or experience. Robert Cuffington doesn't have the foot speed. And Larry Nance just isn't, isn't quite quick enough um, laterally to keep up with those guys. But Jeremy Grant, while not a well not a top tier stopper of alpha dog oversized wings, he absolutely absolutely fits that role. Now he is better against bigger playmakers, um, he, but he won't get obliterated switching onto smaller ball handlers or shooting guards. He's not an especially instinctive help defender, um, not like Covington or Nance in that capacity, but. The length and athleticism that he has can still be a factor at the rim and at the nail, especially as compared to as compared to the Blazers guards and. A guy like Norman Powell, Grant isn't quite the athlete he once uh, he once was in terms of vertical explosion. He's more long and coordinated, and especially quick at this point. Um, even so, trading for him would just be a major boon for the Trailblazers. He fills a huge hole in the roster and would allow for lineup lineup and stylistic versatility that Portland still really lacks, even after adding Nance this summer. Uh, the question is. What would it take to what would it take to get him? Um, what would it take to bring Jeremy Grant to Rip City? Anthony Simons could certainly be intriguing for Detroit, uh, playing next to Cade Cunningham. Killian Hayes, a former top ten pick, does not seem to be a long term answer in the backcourt there. And Ant's lack of uh, lack of playmaking ability, which is improving, but you know he's he's not a he's not a true point guard at this point. I would say uh, that would make him a great fit next to Cade, next to Cade. Um, and then the Blazers specifically probably want to hold on to Nasir Little in a deal like this, just for that extra dose of versatility, defense, and, and athleticism around Dame that that retaining Little while bringing in Grant would allow for. Um, would Anthony Simons and a lottery protected 2024 first round pick be enough to get it done for Grant? Maybe, but. As Sharania reported, Grant's going to be one of the most popular targets in the league given his age, contract status, and positional versatility. Um, so we'll see. I'd, I'd imagine Simons in a lottery protected 2024 first rounder won't be able to get it done, um, but it could be competitive. And and if if for whatever reason Troy Weaver likes that deal, if he has an if he has an affinity for Simons, or perhaps he uh, you know he believes that. 
he can he can get Joe Cronin to lessen the protections on that pick. It's certainly is certainly a conversation worth having, and uh, Cronin really should be prepared to move the goalpost for for a player like Grant, who who isn't a panacea. He's not a superstar. Um, you know, not a star. I think he's he's a he's a below all star level player for sure. But he's an he's an absolutely quality role player, and just given his positional versatility, his size and athleticism, he would just really do a lot for Portland in terms of dynamism on on both ends of the floor. Now, Shams also reported on Monday that Portland is one of several teams in contact with the Philadelphia Sixers about Ben Simmons, which again points to these changes coming. Whether it's Jeremy Grant. Ben Simmons, um, my, my targets of Miles Turner or Cam Reddish, changes are coming for the Blazers. And when they do come, we'll be right here, back to talk about them on, uh, on Talking Trail Blazers. So until then, you can follow all my Blazers coverage at Clutch Points and I'm at Armstrong Winter on Twitter. We sincerely appreciate your time here, uh, listening to this first episode with us, and appreciate you guys. Um, kind of laboring through the growing pains with me um, as we as we get this podcast started but we'll be talking trailblazers again next tuesday have a good rest of the week 